Welcome to Hence the Future podcast. I'm Matt Amor Cronin. And I'm Justin Clark. And today we are discussing the future of transportation. With us today is special guest Daniel Carney. Daniel works at a San Francisco company that develops advanced sensor hardware and vision algorithms for autonomous cars and drones. He's incredibly knowledgeable about transportation technology, and he also happens to be a good friend of mine. Daniel, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Wonderful to be here. Thanks, guys. Yeah, so I thought a good place to start this conversation would be with the goal, the end goal in mind. So what in your mind, Daniel and Justin, is the goal of transportation technology? And what are the main challenges for us to achieve that goal? Um, Justin, do you want to do you have any thoughts? Yeah. So, I mean, this might sound pretty basic for transportation, but for people, it's just getting from point A to point B. I mean, that's that's what it boils down to, really. Or if you're talking about goods, it's getting the goods from point A to point B. You know, so we can talk about the future and how this is going to actually make this getting from point A to point B a lot easier. Um, And that's, I mean, that's sort of a basic, um, that's what I am thinking, which is sort of basic. But what do you think, Daniel? I think the biggest thing is going to be the the speed that we get there, as well as the safety. So, I mean, cars are like one of the biggest causes of, you know, fatalities, you know, in the United States. So I think with you know, autonomous driving and the Hyperloop and, you know, all of these new technologies, it's going to bring, you know, those fatalities down to, you know, a couple percent, which is going to be um, pretty great. So I think it's, you know, going to be the the speed as well as, uh, you know, the safety is going to be kind of the, the end goal for the future of transportation. Yeah, I would add just one other one, which is comfort, because, you know, Elon Musk famously said that, LA traffic is the worst part of his life, (laughs) which I can, that definitely resonates with me as someone who's in LA traffic multiple hours per day. So, Mm -hmm. and I don't know if you've seen some of the futurist videos from like Volkswagen or whatever, where it shows someone just sleeping soundly or reading a book or watching the news or whatever, while they're getting, like you said, from point A to point B, hopefully quickly and Mm -hmm. safely. Right. I think on the safety aspect, it's like, I mean, it's just incredible how many people die from car crashes each year. I mean, I I saw some statistics that said that in just two years, the amount of fatalities is more than that would be saved by self-driving cars would be more than the Vietnam War. All people who died in that war, which is 58,000 people, because most accidents are just basically human error, 90 percent. Right. And then going off of the, the comfort thing, yeah, because well, once as the cars get to level four and then level five autonomy, you won't even need a steering wheel behind in the car. You can turn it into, you know, a cabin. You can have beds. You could have, you know, a study area. You can have, you know, many different things. And it just it opens up so many different possibilities to use that time, you know, other than driving. Yeah. Would you mind explaining those those levels of autonomy just mm-hmm. for the listeners? Sure. So, so level one is pretty much where we're at right now, where you have, you know, the person driving, um, you have the, the pedals, the steering wheel, um, then you have level two, which is where um, Tesla's at. So we have the driver assist, where you're able to, 
um, press a button and it'll switch lanes or stay in the lanes and then maybe do parking for you. Um, and then level three is where it's going to be getting more into where you can plug in point A and point B um, and you don't need to be necessarily paid attention to the steering wheel all the time, but you'll still need to be behind, be behind the wheel. Um, and then level four is going to be where you won't have to be behind the wheel. There'll still be some controls where you can manually stop it, um, but you won't have to be aware of, I guess, the steering wheel and the controls. And then level five is where there'll be no steering wheel, no controls at all. You'll just plug in point A and point B and it'll just go. Right. So with level three, would that include the ability to basically just plug in your Google Maps or Apple Maps and then have the self-driving car basically take that route without you having to intervene unless you know you need to? Yeah. So I see level three being pretty prevalent for the next about 10 years. Um, people aren't going to like society is not going to be able to be, you know, co completely comfortable with level four and level five for a while. And technological wise, it's going to be pretty difficult. Um, but level three is going to be pretty much useful until there's like bad weather or certain constructions or changing in the, the scenery where you would need to be able to take control of the car. Yeah. So I want to talk about some of the technical hurdles, but also some of the ethical hurdles and just in general, the pros and the cons of this major trend, because, I, you know, to someone like me or Justin, it's awesome to just think about a world where you can literally just, you know, in the same way that you hail an Uber today, have it, but it's not some stinky guy who talks too much and, you know, whatever. It's like a nice experience for you and to just not have to worry about traffic for it to be safer and everything like that. But then when I talk to people like my parents or, you know, other people in the baby boomer generation, they get a little bit freaked out because it's like you're giving up so much of your control to the system where, like you said, level five self-driving is you don't even have a steering wheel. So even if you wanted, like, let's say you're a fugitive or something, like you cannot just go off road and have one of those crazy police chases. You pretty much have to do whatever the system wants you to do. So how do you look at this? I mean, are those concerns just totally misplaced or is there there's some some argument on that side? Are you saying within the aspect of, you know, just not having control? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing, the biggest ethical hurdle, I think, is like, you know, do you, you know, in certain crashes, do you protect the greater good or do you protect the person who owns the vehicle? You know, right. if, there, if there's going to be a split second decision, um, does it, you know, the car automatically go into the center, um, the center road and kind of destroy itself, stop itself? Um, and maybe hurt the people who are in the car, or do you go um, and go through the group of people who are in the street? Um, and then and then the other ethical part comes down to who is responsible for that? Is it the car carrier? Is it the engineer who created the algorithm to make that decision? Right. Um, that is, that's kind of where that's going to be a big hurdle to um, you know come across in the future. Yeah. And then the hard thing about, these uh, self-driving cars too is a lot of times they use a sort of black boxy algorithm so it's hard to pin you know what the exact cause of some sort of fatal crash would be and I think there's a lot of effort in these spaces to 
try to add some interpretability to these algorithms. And I know we've talked about this before on the podcast, but that's going to be huge is having some way to interpret black boxy algorithms or just not use black boxy algorithms that make all these complicated decisions. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's going to, that's going to be the hard part, I think is because, you know, a lot of these companies creating their own perception, you know, algorithms, creating their own middleware, creating like, you know, everything from scratch, like, you know, Waymo and Cruise are doing, um, as well as their own sensors. It's going to be really hard to, you know, define a regulatory body that's able to, um, I guess, be able to define exactly what went wrong. Um, I, like in, in, with, in Uber's case with the, the death in Arizona, um, they, they did they were able to pinpoint the, uh, the case of the, the, I guess, the brakes that didn't work. Um, but that took a while and a bunch of investigations to get through that. So I think, you know, there's definitely going to need to be something in the future to be able to, you know, get to that point very quickly. I mean, it seems like they should be able to just rewind whatever the car is seeing through LiDAR or radar or whatever. And almost like in a video game, like in Madden, you can sort of just rewind and see what calculations are taking place. And maybe the algorithm itself is a black box, but that might help just get a glimpse inside. Because it seems like these cars, from what I understand, at every millisecond, they are sensing everything that's around them and they're making a calculation based on how bad it would be to crash into any particular, um, any particular object. So in the example that, that you talked about where, you know, does it optimize for safety of the driver or does it optimize for safety of the greatest number of humans possible? And I guess the way I think about it is that if someone does something illegal, they should not penalize the driver for that. So like, let's say some car like illegally veers into your lane, you know, I think it's, it's not like you should just kill some other innocent person because this, this car veered into your lane, but there are some scenarios that are really tricky. So like, let's say there's a, this famous example where you're driving, there's cars on both sides of you. So you're locked in and in front of you is a big semi and the semi has some sort of cargo like big heaps of hay or something heavier the hay falls off and your option is either a swerve to the left and hit a car that has just like a regular car with a high safety rating which both of you will probably have some minor injuries or b swerve to the right where there's a motorcyclist where the driver would be the the best off because you're not going to get injured at all by hitting a motorcycle but the motorcyclist may die it's so like, mm-hmm. what do you guys think in that scenario? How would you guys code the, the car to, to save the driver at all costs or just to minimize the potential for loss of life with all parties involved? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of a hard question. Yeah. Um, that's why we have all these philosophical thought experiments that are you know just now becoming um, popular in terms of their application. But... You know, I think I would like a car that protects me personally. But, you know, if it's not going to kill me, if, you know, some decision won't kill me and it'll just maybe damage, you know, maybe I get a little bit of whiplash or something, um, that's way better than killing a motorcyclist. But I don't know how the, the algorithms can make that decision 
um, extremely quickly. I mean, there's a lot of optimization that's going on. Um, and, you know, how do we actually make sure that these cars can predict the likelihood of a death or what kind of injury is going to happen? You know, it's long, uh, long answer short. Um, I don't really know what the correct answer is, but minimizing loss of life is, you know, obviously one of the big objectives, but also saving the driver itself. I don't think anybody is going to want a car that will put them in danger mm. when it unnecessarily or when it didn't need to. Do you mm. feel the same, Daniel? Uh, yes, pretty much. I think, you know, saving the, the greater good is obviously the best scenario for everyone. But, you know, you do obviously don't want a car that, you know, is going to put you in harm's way more than another car, you know, depending on what, you know, what type of car you buy, like a GM or a Ford. You know, if the Ford's more likely to, you know, cause you harm, obviously people aren't going to buy that car as, you know, as likely. So I yeah. think... I think that's going to be a Supreme Court decision down the line once is, you know, a few of these cases happen where, um, you know, we're going to have to have these algorithms that are they're going to be standard across the board. Got it. Yeah, I pretty much agree as well. I mean, I, I and I agree with Justin where if it's not going to cause you very much harm, then it's probably better to hit the car where both of you might have very minor injuries rather than potentially kill a motorcyclist. Um, where, but if like, let's say it has the chance of making you paraplegic, I think that it makes sense to prioritize the, the driver just because no one will buy the cars if, if you don't prioritize the driver's safety. One other ethical, just a little tweak to this I want to pose to you guys and we'll move on to other stuff. So let's say it's the same scenario. You're clogged in on both sides with the semi in front of you. But instead of, instead of having a car to one side and a motorcycle to the other, you have two motorcycles, one on each side. One of the motorcyclists is wearing a helmet. The other person is not wearing a helmet. The question mm -hmm. is, which one should the car hit? Because you might say, oh, hit the guy with the helmet because that he's more likely to survive. But aren't you then penalizing the responsible motorist? Or you mm -hmm. could say, okay, dish out some street justice and mm -hmm. hit the guy who's not wearing a helmet because it's the law that he should wear a helmet where mm. you might be killing someone in a, a brutal way, brutal calculated way, in a calculated way that human reactions are not, are not uh, litigated because they're just perceived as instinctive reactions. What do you mm -hmm. guys think? Well, well, then are you automatically going to get killed yourself if you run into the semi? That's, that's the... Okay. That's just the, uh, yeah. Maybe not uh, killed, but like severely, like, you know it'll be real bad yeah see that one is i have no idea that's that that's tough yeah these questions are almost they're almost impossible to answer but like sam harris has said it's philosophy with a deadline it's not mm -hmm. like we can just talk about these things for hundreds of years i mean we really got to make decisions quick i i just listened to this podcast with uh elon musk and kara swisher on rico deco and he talks about the latest updates to Tesla and Elon predicts that in the next year Tesla's will be fully self-driving I don't know if that means um, you know level three or level four I mean I, I there will still be steering wheels for sure so it won't be level five but mm -hmm. given that it's 
you know, a year away, let's say two years to be conservative. I mean, we really got to figure out the ethics of these of these systems or else by not making a decision, we're also making a decision. One of the things that would make this a lot better is if everybody was just, or if there were specific roads for self-driving cars only. So we didn't have these sort of dilemmas and the self-driving cars can talk to each other. So if one thing goes wrong, all of the cars can work together to kind of mitigate the overall damage. I agree. Um, Um, That's definitely something that, you know, people have been talking about is, you know, having know one or two lanes specifically for autonomous driving cars or um, I think they're already building some in China right now that actually have you know charging in the roads as well as the you know it be solely for autonomous which is which is pretty cool but I think once as you know 5g rolls out um, and the cars are going to be able to communicate with each other uh, much more efficiently and and faster since you know all these sensors um, output so much data per second um, the, the 5G is going to be necessary to be able to ha- have a you know a collective network between everyone to be able to to mitigate this risk. Right. Yeah, I've heard a lot about how much more efficient everything will get once more cars are self-driving than not, or especially when every car pretty much is self-driving. And I've mm-hmm. also read that it's going to get worse before it gets better as far as traffic congestion. So, how do you see us potentially? overcoming those challenges where let's say half the drivers are your typical crazy LA drivers that'll butt in anywhere and really push the law versus autonomous cars, which will probably be too hesitant about changing lanes and might actually cause more traffic congestion. How might we solve those or overcome those challenges? I think it's actually going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Um, especially in LA, because you have um, you're gonna have so many more cars on the road. Um, a lot of these autonomous driving cars, when you get to level four and level five, instead of parking them somewhere, they're going to be going around picking up people for you or doing chores for you in the meantime. So they won't need to park anywhere, and that you know kind of brings another aspect to you know real estate and stuff on the other end. But there's just going to be a lot more cars on the road, and then. You know, having some being autonomous and some not, it's going to create this uh, this congestion problem that you know might make things you know you know three times worse. Yeah. So, do you think by, you know, the boring company, for instance, is is you know one solution potentially where you can have self driving cars that operate in the way that normal cars do, but if you got to go somewhere far away across town to the airport to another city, whatever then you can basically get on one of these platforms that takes you underground and you hurtle through these tunnels at amazing speeds to get to your destination. And by taking advantage of that three-dimensional space, we're able to move much more quickly. I'm curious how it's going to play out as far as when will these boring tunnels be ready? I mean, they might reach some some, uh, regulatory challenges versus how soon will autonomous cars be ready? And what can we expect in the next 10 years or 15 years as far as like how much worse will traffic get versus better? How are you looking at the the future? Yeah, I really like the the boring company. I think it's gonna it's a pretty great idea. Um, and the the one from Hollywood to Dodger Stadium should be done. Um, they're doing initial rides December 10th. 
so which awesome. is pretty incredible. Um, but yeah, well, it just it's I don't think the volume of people it's going to be able to to do right away is going to make that much of a difference. Um, but it, that's definitely very exciting as well as, you know, the, the flying cars, you know, Kitty Hawk and, and Uber that are trying to get into the flying cars as well that, you know, could make things better, could make things worse. I'm, I'm not right. sure. And the other, the other big trend, at least in tech that I've seen is scooters, electric scooters, like Bird and Lime. And, you know, these things are really fun to ride. And I think they're hitting at some demand that was pretty much unknown or, or hadn't been tapped into previously, where people would rather live close to where they work and go on foot or on bike or on scooter to get there. And we might have much better lives and much better <clears throat> planned cities if we plan them around this. But I think the problem is that we've already invested so much into the current infrastructure that it seems like most of the solutions are just building even more infrastructure. Whereas maybe we could just all live in more closely knit communities where everyone walks around and there's parks and, you know, I don't know if anyone has plans for self-driving scooters or something like that, but I mean, that would be interesting too. That would be nice. Um, but yeah, I think the, the full spectrum of transportation, you know, the last mile, you have flights, you have cars. Um, and that's that's what kind of Uber's main goal is, is to be able to have transportation all across the board from, you know, trains, cars, scooters, planes and everything. Um, that's kind of their full. They're trying to do like full stack transportation into cities. Um, and then also with Ford yesterday buying spin, um, the spin scooter uh, for 40 million. So like, wow. you know, Everyone is trying to get into not just, you know, autonomous driving cars are trying to get into, you know, the bikes and the scooters and, and everything like that. And I think that that's, um, you know, going to cut down on congestion uh, over the long term because obviously the scooters are taking away market share from, you know, these taxi companies. Um, right. And, you know, it's a lot better to, for the environment as well. And I, I think they're they're awesome. They're really fun to ride. Yeah. <laughs> And let's talk a little bit about the delivery drones and that side of the equation. Because I know a lot of people are worried that they're going to be delivery drones that are going to deliver a heavy package right on your head or, <laughs> or somehow some, in some other way create problems um, just by having these things flying around. Do you think that's a, a misplaced fear or, or uh, I mean, obviously there'll be some kinks to work out. What do you think? So I have opinions about it where it's not necessarily about the dangers of them, but it's more about the annoyance of drone of drones. Hmm. So if you just think about drones buzzing around everywhere, making all these deliveries, I mean, that's just such a disturbance. I, I don't even like when there's really loud cars driving around when I'm trying to, you know, work like at a motorcycle, or like Harvey, yeah. Harley Davidson's. Yeah, and if you just hear this buzzing constantly outside, you know, it just kind of, it would kind of ruin it. It's also, you have to think about the environmental impacts, you know, all of the the birds or the insects or every everything else that's disturbed by these, by this buzzing and by this noise. You know, it's not just about us. Well, can't, couldn't they maybe in the future make them super quiet so it's almost like they're... They don't emit any sound. You think that's possible? 
Uh, I mean, it, it depends on what kind of drone it is. Maybe there anything that has the the propeller, kind of like a helicopter or with the blades spinning, that's probably never going to get quieter. Um, there, I mean, I'm pretty sure a lot of the noise just comes from the displacement of, or like the motor displacing all the air and stuff. I'm not really sure how much noise you can get rid of. I mean, have you ever heard yeah. of a noise of a noiseless helicopter or, you know, no, I don't, yeah. I don't think it's even possible. Um, I mean, we could it, just have delivery droids that are basically just delivering to us on the ground. Maybe if it's from far away, it uses boring tunnels and then comes up and it, you know, there's something that drives to your house. I just don't like the idea of drones flying around everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it does seem disruptive, but I could see certain um, certain landscapes that require drone deliveries just because it would be really tough. Yeah, yeah. Also, the idea of getting every Amazon package within an hour is pretty tempting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they yeah. already get a lot within an hour, but... And, and I think you... it'll probably happen. I just, I have a feeling I would personally get annoyed with it, but it's probably about preference, you know? Yeah. But your point about disturbing other animals is interesting because they just had that viral video where there's the bear and the little bear cub and they're trying to make it up the top of the snowy mountain. Have you guys seen that? Mm-mm. But anyways, this like bear cub is like trying his hardest to claw his way up and he keeps sliding down and everyone on Twitter was feeling really inspired like, oh, look, he's not giving up. Like this is a great <laughs> lesson. And then it comes out later that the reason the bears were were crawling up to the top of the mountain is because they were freaked out by the drone that was recording them. And all these bear experts were saying, like, this is horrible. This is not a good story. This is, this is you're basically pestering wild animals and, you know, something really awful could have happened as a result. I wonder if it'd be possible to create drones that look more like birds or are less intrusive in the same way that we talked about the robot on last couple episodes or you know the future of robotics where it's this fish robot that's able to go underwater for exploratory missions without being seen as some artificial invader do you think it i mean i guess i guess i don't know have we ever built like a a bird-like drone that (laughs) wouldn't wouldn't uh freak other animals out I don't know about that, but I know that they, you know, there are a couple companies making um, passenger, um, like single passenger type uh, aircrafts uh, that have the propellers actually inside um, and then just thrust the air outward so it is a lot quieter. Oh, wow. Uh, You know, that could be something to make on a smaller scale. I'm not really sure, you know, how small they could make that with a, you know, internal propeller or a Mm. thruster. But, uh, you know, that definitely could be, you know, something to look at in the future. That's interesting. Yeah. So I want to I want to talk about some of the just different competitors and just different players in the self-driving space. So it seems like Tesla is the one that's the most front and center. I mean, they were the one that really sort of sparked the industry to move a lot faster than it had been previously. And Elon said on that same Recode Decode podcast that he doesn't think any other competitors are that close to where they are, but he he said if he had to pick one, he said that Waymo is the next closest. And he doesn't feel like any of the major car companies 
are that far along because they're hardware companies. They don't know software. And a lot of these companies have basically been looking for specialized solutions like putting sensors in the roads and stuff like that. Whereas Elon made the point that Tesla is all about a general solution. So a solution where you can drive your car safely, whether you're on the the 405 freeway in LA or whether you're on some dirt trail in, in southern India or anywhere in between. Um, are you, do you agree that it's better for to have like a generalized solution and that, you know, Waymo and Tesla are sort of the leaders there? Or are there any other players that you think are, are worth considering that, that I haven't mentioned? Yeah, I, I actually don't think Tesla is leading at really? all. Um, they, they're the ones that implemented the, the auto assist first, uh, like they're level two. And then he's saying that level three is going to be coming out soon. Um, I just don't think that, um, the regulators and when everything starts to get regulated, that Tesla is going to be able to keep up with that because they only use cameras and radars. Um, so mm-hmm. that, uh, that's what Uber was trying to do as well, um, for their level four, but it's, it's not very accurate. Yeah. You know, a lot of these companies need to have LiDAR to be able to accurately 3D map your surroundings. Um, Tesla's only using camera and radar, which is definitely um, a hindrance on, um, on what they're able to see, what, they're, what data they're able to get, um, and what they're able to detect from the, from the sensors, especially at night. And why haven't they implemented LiDAR? Is it just expensive or, or it's hard mm-hmm. to integrate with their current software algorithm? or? Yeah, I think it's, it's just, I think it's just uh, it's expensive. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's there's Velodyne, which is probably uh, the biggest uh, lidar company, uh, but a lot of their lidars are you know they're huge and they cost about a hundred thousand um, dollars. But then you have Ouster, who you know it's thirty times smaller, um, but that costs you know anywhere between ten and twelve thousand. So there, there's a lot of different um, hmm. I guess um, options out there. Um, but the, a lot of these companies are going to need to use or wanting to use LiDAR for their fleets coming out, especially Waymo. They bought 60,000 Chrysler Pacificas, 25,000 Jaguar I-Paces, um, and they're looking to outfit them all with LiDAR. So. Wow. And just to be clear for our listeners, so LiDAR is basically shooting out millions of laser beams per second so that you can map out the world around you. Is that right? And, and the way that I think about it is it's kind of like in the movie Daredevil when it's raining outside and he's able to quote unquote see the girl who he loves by basically hearing all of the raindrops around him and mapping out this world. And I imagine LiDAR is kind of like that, but it's with laser beams instead of raindrops. Yeah, pretty much. It's, it, there's one optic that shoots the laser, one that receives it and then measures the the speed of, or I guess the, the time of um, it coming back and be able to map the whole 3D in really good detail in real time. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot better from than just cameras because cameras can easily get messed up by, let's say, lighting that is mm. you know directly mm. facing the camera. Once that happens, I mean, it's hard for the camera to really pick out anything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this I definitely agree that LiDAR is probably the technology or something maybe more advanced down the road that can, um, you know, make these 3d maps. Um, so yeah, I I think that's awesome. And how does, how does radar work differently than LIDAR? 
Because I always imagine radar as like if you're a ship out in sea and it sort of just does a sweep of your surroundings and identifies what the most massive objects are. And it does this like, you know, a couple times a second, like not that often. Is that is that pretty accurate or is it, it, it's similar? I would it's um, it definitely does the depth sensing. Um, so you're able to see how far objects are away. But the LiDAR is able to shoot, you know, 1.3 million lasers per second. Um, and it's able to, you know, have all these different point clouds to very accurately um, map the surroundings. Um, and then on top of that, you, I think a camera is pretty necessary as well because it does great for object detection. You know, finding out exactly what that thing is. You know, if it's a person, a dog, uh, a bike or something like that. And I think, so I think a camera is necessary for the, the autonomous driving stack as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, I think the next thing we should talk about are the possibility of hacking. Because that's something that obviously is something Hollywood is interested in. I mean, there's the movie Upgrade where this happens. And basically, people are worried that, okay, let's say the president is in some self-driving car and then all of a sudden it gets hacked and they can either crash the car, they can take it to some hit location or something along those lines. How much are these autonomous companies preparing for that possibility by building in some encryption or, or preventing it? Or do they have some system where it's like iPhones where it's basically all in the vehicle and it doesn't have a whole lot of abilities to hack it from the outside? I mean, how, how are you looking at the safety and anti-hacking procedures in autonomous technology? Yeah, so I mean, it's it's obviously an un, untouched realm, so really no one really knows which way to go about it. Um, a lot of this stuff is, is embedded within the car, but then a lot of the information data is, you know, sent outside the car. So, you know, a lot of these companies like Diddy Labs or, or Waymo or Cruise are, you know, developing their security um, in-house, but um, none of those details have really been released yet. So I think that's going to be a very interesting part. So I think that, you know, in the future, I think there's going to be a need to have like a security regulatory system um, across the board for all autonomous driving cars. So there's not like a, a hacker kill switch to, you know, shut down all the cars at one second. Right. Yeah. So what do you think about a situation where the car just loses power? Is there anything in that case, too? I mean, hackers or attackers could do something like an EMP. And so, I mean, I would think that would probably shut down most of the the systems in the car but is there maybe a situation where we do have sensors in the road that can make sure that cars don't veer off track at least on major roads so you can at least be have an extra layer of protection if there are i don't know what kind of sensors in the road maybe magnets in the middle so it lines up with you know the bottoms of cars or something else that's more efficient, but is there some way to maybe get around the loss of power or something, some, you know, catastrophic failure? Um, I mean, that's the, that's a, that's a big question. I'm not, yeah. Really sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know, I know in China right now, they're actually building roads that uh, have um, power charging capabilities within the road. Um, obviously they can't be used yet. 
but you know just wirelessly bringing power to the car so they will never need to go to a station and charge i think that that could be implemented in you know current roads to be able to give it a constant charge where um the car may not even need you know a battery or you know a full you know electrical system in the future but i think that's pretty far down the line yeah i mean one point that that elon made when he was asked a similar question is that even to just get all of the roads repainted just so that they have very clear lane dividers even that is an infrastructural nightmare like to actually get the government to fund, especially in a place like the U.S. where there's the private sector and the public sector. I mean, it's a lot easier somewhere like China because they can basically just like eat that cost or whatever. But it like even to just paint the roads would be such a hurdle. So I don't know how likely it is that they'll be able to put in those sorts of sensors or charging strips, at least in the in the near term, you know, even though it would be a nice safeguard potentially. Yeah, I completely agree. It's, yeah, the the infrastructure in the United States is is massive, and changing that at all is going to be you know a big feat, even for the government or even the private sector as well. Yeah. So I want to also get your thoughts on what's going to change about society as these autonomous driving uh, takes hold. So. You know, one thing we've talked about a lot in the podcast, and there's just immense statistics that you can pull from, is how big of a job provider transportation is. I mean, Mm. we've talked about that truck driving is the number one most common job in 29 U.S. states. Uh, And then on top of that, there's all sorts of Uber drivers, Lyft drivers, food delivery people, taxis i mean it's just endless pretty much task rabbit whatever mm-hmm. so given how big of a disruption this is going to be to the job market do you see ubi universal basic income as like the necessary solution um or, or how are you thinking about this disruption right so i mean yeah there's about to be like four million jobs lost for truck drivers in the next you know five to seven years which is a massive number um, and the, most of these people are uneducated, don't have, you know, any sort of technical background. So it's going to be tough for them to be able to like support their families. And I've thought that once this technology gets to a certain point that I think the universal income is going to be necessary. Um, there has been some test cases where it has been, it's worked out very well. Um, but in terms of jobs in the future overall, I think that um, technology as a whole is going to bring more jobs than it will take away jobs. Um, there's always going to be a, a human element needed to be there for technology and the upkeep of technology. When you say more jobs, do you mean more types of jobs or more jobs just volume-wise, like number of jobs? I think both. Um, there's always going to need to be technicians. There's always going to need to be people to upkeep all the technology. Um, there, there's just always going to be you know, more jobs to be able to, people are going to adapt um, with the advance of technology. They just need to be highly skilled in this new economy, or at least more highly skilled than is necessary right now. Mm-hmm. I would actually put push back on that claim a little bit because just to keep the, just to keep up with the population growth, we would basically need 150,000 new jobs per month in the U.S., 
And if you look at the trend of U.S. job creation since the 1960s, in the 1960s, there was about 30% new jobs were created on top of the existing jobs. So it was like an, it was a net gain of 30%. Then by the 1980s, that went down to below 20%. And now in the 2000s, it's less than 5% new job growth. So it's it, it does seem like the trend would have to seriously change if there were to be more more jobs in the future so i i wonder i mean i agree that there are going to be more types of jobs for sure but mm -hmm. i think the the case of let's say a netflix which can generate x amount billions of dollars per year with just a handful of employees versus let's say like blockbuster which had so many employees i mean my camp counselor was a former blockbuster employee and i would see him and he didn't remember me <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, as I say, it's like a very widespread job. So, yeah, I think it, it is going to be a, a big challenge for, for UBI in the future. But there are going to be opportunities for people who have the technical training and are creative in how you can apply different technologies and combine them to create something new. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to have to adapt. And I think that the, um, I guess, manufacturing, especially in the United States, is going to grow a lot in the future. And so I, it may be, it's definitely going to be tough. And I do think universal income will need to be talked about in the near future. Um, but I think that, you know, jobs should be um, pretty safe for the next, I would say, five to 10 years. Okay. Well, I want to get into now the worst case, best case, and most likely scenarios for how you guys see the future of transportation. So let's say, let's say 50 years into the future. You know, even a hundred years, if you like, enough mm -hmm. time for these technologies to mature and be fully adapted. Let's start with the worst case. What's the worst case scenario for what could happen with the future of transportation? And I'm happy to go first if you want, unless you guys have have some ideas. Go for it. Yeah, go for it. Okay, so in my mind, the worst case scenario, which I don't know how likely it is, but it certainly is the stuff of nightmares is an autonomous, or sorry, an authoritarian government basically using self-driving technology to eliminate the volition of citizens who might want to undermine the malevolent government. So imagine if we become even more and more nationalistic. I mean, it's, you know, China is, I think China actually has good intentions for the most part, even though what they do is, is, ho is horrible to us, like jailing journalists or whatever. But mm -hmm. I could see something like that used not just by China, but potentially by the United States if we keep, you know, if our democracy keeps degrading, where you cannot really choose where you go, where you drive. And it's a way of tracking every single person wherever they go, using facial recognition, using GPS, and that basically this will be the end of free will as we know it. And that's, that's my worst case scenario. Oh, I, I completely agree. Um, I think that once is these big tech companies especially are able to have all of our data be able to track us in our cars, track our phones, track our voices, um, they're going to have more power essentially than, than the government. And then they will have power over where we go, what we see, um, and pretty much control almost every aspect of our lives. And that's, that's kind of my worst case scenario. 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree that what you guys are saying is it's probably even worse than what I was thinking of. Um, but so what I was thinking is similar to what I was saying earlier with like the drones flying everywhere, just disrupting the environment and not creating a, a healthy, like peaceful world just because there's buzzing and noise all over the place. But there's also other side effects to some of these technologies that we don't know about. Like, for example, we don't know what the effects of 5G will be on biological creatures because there have been a lot of studies that show, you know, these these harmful wavelengths cause um, DNA breaks more commonly than others. And, you know, if we make these sweeping changes without fully understanding the effects, there could be a huge health crisis. You know, maybe... Because we don't even fully understand the impacts of Wi-Fi. I mean, we we just kind of ignore it because we don't see these waves everywhere because our eyes just can't process the waves. Right. But but there are you know the these potentially potentially huge side effects of having you know all these DNA breaks because maybe five G is more dangerous than technologists are letting on yeah i mean that's one thing my my mom is really worried about she's always talking about it and and in doing some research there are reasons to believe that some negative consequences could happen as a result of 5g such as dna mutations which could result in cancer and i also wonder about lidar so you're shooting a million laser beams in every direction could that cause some biological harm it's hard to know because it hasn't been, none of these uh, technologies have been used for an entire human lifespan. So it's it's hard to judge. And it's not like we can just halt all progress either. Like it's not like we can say, you know what, let's just not do this because then we fall behind as a nation relative to the rest of the world. And so it seems like we are in this dilemma where there are risks, but there's pretty much no option for us to stop or go backwards. The only path is to go forwards. Yeah, I, de- I definitely agree. We will, we won't know. And, uh, I guess the repercussions for another, you know, 10, 15 years on the 5g or, you know, mm-hmm. our cell phone radiation or whatever happens. So, and I don't think a lot of people care. I think everyone's just like, Hey, if we have some really great technology. <laughs> it improves yeah. my life now um like who cares and that's what a lot of societies like and then you know there's there are going to be some health you know concerns in the future which is definitely scary okay well let's move on to the best scenario best case scenario now to lift up the spirits a bit (laughs) so in the best case scenario so i'm i'm happy to start if you guys if you guys would like So my best case scenario is that we prioritize transportation in the following way. Number one is foot traffic. So we model our cities around walkability, around living close to where you work. Number two is any other ground, like sidewalk transportation. So bikes, scooters, skateboards, anything like that, segways. After that, we prioritize public transportation like boring company tunnels, like Hyperloop, trains, that sort of thing, subway. And then the lowest priority is cars. And 
you know, that would be a good way of connecting and filling in all the gaps. So like if you take some Hyperloop to the station, you can then take your self-driving car to your little urban center. And then from there, you just walk or skateboard around town. And part of this best case scenario, as I see it, is that obviously it seriously decreases our carbon footprint. So it's less infrastructure, less concrete, more animals can roam about, more people can actually get good exercise. And another benefit of this would be people actually engaging with one another in a way that is more in line with our biology. So, I mean, you know, we just saw in the midterm election that there is a very big difference between someone who lives in a city, someone who lives in the suburbs, and someone who lives in a rural area. I mean, the mindset and psychology could not be more different than it is for those three, three groups. And so I think by bringing people together, by living in cities that are more like how humans evolved, where you're in this little group and you see the people, you've got your local whatever, it's not all just impersonal deliveries taken from across town. I think that would actually solve a lot of the world's social problems while also solving the environmental problems and the efficiency problems. So that's the, the best case scenario in the future of transportation as I see it. I would echo basically everything that you said. That was very similar to what I was thinking. Um, the only thing I would add is basically the the opposite of what I was saying for the worst case is we figure out how to make these infrastructure changes while preserving the environment as much as possible. And I can't overstate how much I hope that the boring company works out so we can have all of this transportation underground and we can get rid of a lot of the concrete, which is, you know, by itself a really huge task. Maybe we just do something with these concrete spaces, like you were saying, maybe we have more walking or somehow convert these these roads into parks or something along those lines. So, you know, we have a lot more nature space than we otherwise would have because there's an absurd amount of cities right now are just planned around roads and... Um, it's all, I mean, a huge chunk of the overall space is roads. Yeah, I mean, so. check out, I just shared this this photo with you that is an artist rendition of basically what the world is, where instead of, for everything that we've given over to cars and to streets, imagine it's just a gaping hole, and the only places <sighs> that we can walk are the sidewalks and the walkways, and it's it's incredible how much space we've relinquished to cars. And when you think about that compared to just roaming you know frolicking in the grass with with deer and birds and <laughs> rolling around and looking at this clouds i mean it's just a much that it's much better for our psyche to live in nature in that way not be among concrete i completely agree i mean just in la 14 percent of all of la is parking lots so if we're able amazing to, if we're able to figure that out if we're able to have autonomous driving cars that are able to be moving all the time and have a lot of them to be underground, especially you know if the boring company helps, we can turn all those parking lots into parks and model it off more of like you know a Singapore-esque type cities and have yeah. nature, you know, bridges and just you know have running water everywhere. It'd be, it'd be incredible. Yeah. Plus, one trend is that 
the more roads you build, the more lanes you build, demand just rises to meet that. So you might see a decrease in traffic for the next two to four years, which is just enough for your election cycle to get get a nice little bump and a nice little pat on the back. But then, you know, in five years, pretty much traffic is exactly the same because people are like, oh, I should buy a car or like, yeah, maybe I'll get a second car or more people decide to Uber around. And yeah, so I think like increasing the amount of lanes is not the way to go. I think prioritizing it in, you know, towards walking, towards grass, towards nature, towards what what we evolved to be early on is, is the way to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, almost a, a best case and a, also a worst case scenario. I think that competition is going to get so high in the autonomous driving space that um, a lot of these fleets that are going to be offering these rides are going to be supplementing free rides with ads everywhere. Right. You'll be ads within the car. You'll be get targeted. <laughs> other so there'll be it'll be transportation as a free service but it'll be you'll just be bombarded with ads and i think that's uh it's mm-hmm. cool for it to be you know free but that would just be be miserable just to have ads everywhere yeah i mean even if it's not ads in the car the fact is is that when people have downtime they're on their phones they're on instagram they're on facebook or twitter or google or whatever and because people tend to travel by car, you know, one to two hours a day, that's a big chunk of time. And if all that time is spent looking at your phone or a lot of it or screens in your car, that's a lot of extra ad revenue. So mm-hmm. it's good from that perspective. I wonder how it's going to affect billboards and out of home advertising industry if people are less focused on the road and they're more focused on what's inside the car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. There's probably more opportunities if people are walking around more than you could have. It would just probably change. So it's less about freeway billboards and more about, you know, in your community billboards. Mm -hmm. Or interactive billboards, kind of like Minority Report and like the interactive, like targeted ones that I think that'd be kind of also a bit intrusive. Cool. Well, let's okay. So finally, let's talk about the most likely scenario. So we've talked about the worst case authoritarian loss of free will with also biological, you know, problems as a result Mm -hmm. of this 5G and everything. And the best case where we can go back more to our roots, get rid of a lot of this concrete, have more efficiency, more environmental well-being. So let's talk about the middle scenario the most likely scenario as you guys see it so i would say that we'll probably see a little bit of both of the things that you just described like across the world i bet we're gonna see china russia probably go into more of these authoritarian transportation regimes Um, but we'll also see really advanced at least cities not necessarily full countries but cities that implement these transportation technologies in a way that matches up with our best case a lot more um, than the worst case. So, so we'll probably just see a big distribution of somewhere, you know, the extremes and somewhere in between the extremes, depending on how advanced or progressive a city is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I see a lot of, a lot of 
a lot of companies have already come together, you know, like IBM and, and Delphi and Google and all these companies are coming together to create kind of a coalition for, you know, safety and, um, you know, public acceptance of these new technologies. Like people aren't going to accept it overnight and we need, I guess, the government and regulatory body and all these big companies with all this power um, to be able to come together and make this a reality. Otherwise, nothing is going to happen and it will just be privatized and it'll, it'll destroy it in the end. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think we are going to see some of the best case and the worst case. One other trend that I think is going to happen is that I think there's going to be a move, a flocking to smart cities over time. So right now, most people live in New York, L.A., Chicago, at least in, in America. And I think as this technology matures and imagine you have now some cities that are more like Singapore, where it's more of about living in the urban center where you have complete walkability everywhere you go and you don't have to deal with traffic. You don't have to deal with so much concrete. I can see a lot of people moving to those cities and maybe the great cities of today become the waning cities of tomorrow as people go to these new cities and it becomes less important about being in this big you know, being in whatever the big behemoth is because you can get around so much easier. On the flip side, some of these today's great cities might fully adopt. Like I could imagine San Francisco really adopting all of this self-driving technology and becoming much more efficient. I mean, imagine if the BART system had everything that was great about what we're talking about with transportation in addition to making the city more green, you know, having better, you know, more local housing and whatever. So I think it's going to be a question of cities, which what do they want to become? And I think the cities that adopt these transportation policies are going to become the cities of the future. And the ones that stay to their infrastructure, old fashioned highways, two dimensional transportation, lots of concrete spread out between where people live and where people work. I think those cities are going to are going to wane over time. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think the, the transportation between cities is going to be big instead of the highways having, you know, the boring company or these, you know, high speed trains. Um, instead of having these, you know, hundreds of miles of highways in between and, um, you know, having these miniature cities in between or otherwise just having cities that are sustainable, um, easy transportation and are a lot smaller than, you know, L.A. Yeah. Nice. Well, do you guys have any uh, any final takeaways or thoughts for our listeners? I mean, one, one thought I have is that if you're looking to buy a car, hold off, <laughs> wait like five years, especially if you live in a big city, because you might not have to ever own a car. And there are, and you know what? You'll probably live longer. <laughs> so All now, the stress caused from road rage. Yeah, yeah road rage is just terrible. It's, I mean, I try to be a Zen human being. And road rage is the biggest challenge to my Zen way of life. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't drive in L.A. And five years ago, that would have been almost impossible. But uh, now 
it's the easiest, you know, easiest thing for me. You know, public transportation, Uber, Lyft, it's it's pretty great. Yeah. And it's only gonna be easier. Awesome. Well I think that's a good place to end it. So thank you. Thank you guys for this discussion and thank you to everyone for listening. This has been the future of transportation. We're gonna talk about what has happened, what is currently thanks guys and what will inevitably happen. The past, the present, and the future. Our computer is-